glad that you're here today, and I'm glad that the Lord's here today with us. Amen. I say it all the time. I'm glad it's not just a bunch of people gathering in a building, that we're we're saints of God, and he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I want to be where the Lord is. Amen. I want to be with him. And Jesus said, wherever the, uh, the master is, there will his servants be or his disciples be also. Well, he's here with us today. Amen. And we're in his presence. I know we have Thanksgiving week coming up. Some will be off school and work and different things. Some traveling. Pray for your safety. I pray that we would truly be thankful. But remember our Wednesday night service. We are going to have our service at 7. Just a time of testifying of the goodness of God and thanking the Lord for his goodness to us. Amen. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. I just also want to encourage you to come to Sunday school. It's a wonderful time if you, most of you come, but if, if some don't or are unaware of it or haven't made that commitment yet, it's a wonderful time. Sunday school at 9, we start about 9.30 and finish about 10 after 10 roughly. And that 40 minutes is a wonderful time studying God's Word. And, and uh, I know it's used to strengthen and edify the body. Amen. So I'd love for you to be part of that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This will be our main text for today. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, where, what is the setting of this? What's going on? Well, the Lord had just said who, to his disciples privately, he'd been doing miracles. He'd been raising the dead. He'd been casting out demons. He'd been preaching the truth of the, of the gospel and, and the kingdom of heaven and doing good and speaking like no man ever spoke before. And he says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? You hear people talk. Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Like, come back from the dead because John the Baptist had been beheaded. Or, or Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. Then the Lord makes it very personal, and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And everything, y'all, when I say everything, everything hinges upon our answer to that. He is Lord of all, but do we believe it? Do we confess him as that? And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter rightly speaks up and rightly professes, thou art the Christ, verse 16. Matthew 18, 16, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and says, you're blessed. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, or Simon Jonah, Because he says to Peter, this knowledge of me, of who I am, the Christ, the son of the living God, is not, didn't come to you from flesh and blood. It wasn't another man that whispered this in your ear. It wasn't a vote. It wasn't a consensus of people that said, Christ is the Lord, the Son of the living God. No, he says, this knowledge came to you. It was revealed to you from my Father in heaven. This is revelation knowledge of the Lord. And the Bible says, Jesus said, No man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father but the Son, and whomsoever he will reveal him to. If we're really going to get it, and the light bulb's going to come on for our salvation, for our eternity to confess Christ as Lord, we have to... Uh, have that revelation knowledge of the Lord. But the Bible says, whoever will turn to him, that veil will be taken away and will understand. It is a willing heart, but God is always willing to reveal who he is to men. He reveals it through the gospel. He reveals it through the word of God. He reveals it in the, by the Holy Ghost in men's hearts and consciousness. 
But after Peter makes this profession, Jesus said in verse 18, And I say unto you, unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're going to talk about this, this church of Jesus Christ and the authority and the power of, of Christ's church that he, he's established and establishing. He starts first in this verse by declaring Peter, Simon, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah. He says, I say unto you that you are Peter. So he calls him a different name. And that word in the Aramaic, Peter, means is Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, Petros. Petros is a fragment of a rock. That's actual definition. You might have heard it's a pebble or a little stone. I've even heard it said like a, a rocky ledge that may be crumbling or falling apart that wouldn't be real uh, necessarily stable. But he said, we know for sure it means a fragment of a rock. I says to Simon, right after he made that profession, I say unto you that you are Peter. You are Petros, a fragment of a rock. Not the rock upon which he's going to build his church. Because look at the second half of the verse. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, there's a different word there for rock. It's not Petros. It's not a pebble. It's not a fragment of a, of a larger rock. It's not a little stone. Upon this rock that Christ will build his church, the word for rock there is not Petros, but Petra, P-E-T-R-A. Petra is an immovable stone. And that's perfect for what the Lord's saying here, because he always does things perfectly, amen, and perfect for our sermon today in this word. I will build my church upon this rock. Petra, an immovable stone. He's not building it upon Peter. He's not building it upon a man. He's not building it upon a religious system. He's not building on building it upon the consensus of men or the backs of men or the intelligence of men. He is building his church upon the rock, upon this rock, an immovable stone. Christ's church is built upon, is being built upon, and will continue to be built upon Christ himself. The church of Jesus Christ is built upon Christ. It's definitely his church. It is built upon Christ himself. He is called throughout the scriptures the rock of salvation. He is the rock of salvation. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the stone which the builders rejected, which has become the chief and the head cornerstone. He is the firm foundation. He is the anchor for men's souls. He is the rock upon which the wise man builds his life. Because he said in Matthew, whoever hears these sayings of mine, not religious sayings, not uh, popular spiritual sayings, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And when the storms come, and they do come, they come to Christians just as well as to lost people, the storms of life come, and the waters were beating against that house, and the winds beating upon that house, and it stood because it was built upon a rock. The foolish man may hear the sayings of God, but they don't obey them. They don't keep them. And they built their house on sinking sand. The house looks lovely, but when the storms come and the water beats against that house, it falls, and the fall of it is great. It's like an utter disaster. It's completely wiped out and destroyed. Jesus Christ is that rock. Now, Peter had rightly declared and professed Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. 
And Jesus had actually said, uh, says in John chapter 8, he says unto you that you will die in your sins. Because if you believe not that I am he, you will die in your sins. We have to believe that he is who Peter said he was. We have to believe who he is who he is. We have to believe that he is who he says he is and has revealed himself to be through his word. There's so many opinions of, of Jesus Christ, but the only opinion that matters is what God the Father says of his own son. We have a record from the Father of who Jesus is, and that's what we have to believe. Any other Jesus, I'll you know, put quotes around it that we believe, is not the, God, not the saving Jesus and not the rock upon which he builds his church. There are many Jesuses, Paul said. Some may come to you preaching another Jesus, another gospel of another spirit, he said to the Corinthians. He says, but this is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the rock, and he is building his church upon himself. Amen. So Peter professes Christ is the rock. You are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not a Son of a living God, not a Christ that Christians choose to believe in, but someone else believes in another Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and we need to hang on to that. We need to be thankful that we're in the truth, amen, and that God has opened our eyes to see that. There's no arrogance in it. There's a gratitude, though. And thanks, thankfulness, but it was uh, combined the two almost that Christ is the rock, and then this profession of faith in the rock. In other words, it's Christ. But Peter says, when Jesus said, "Who do you say that I am?" Peter says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And the Lord says, "Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church." It is that profession, um, genuine heart, spirit revealed profession of faith. In Christ, not only is he the rock, but it's that profession of faith in Christ that he builds his church on. That's how men are saved, by believing, right? We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart. Who do we confess? The Lord Jesus Christ, who Peter confessed. And believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so it's this profession, it's who he is, this profession of our faith. I'm going to read this to you from Hebrews 3.1. I'll just read it. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. He is everything. He is the center of it. He is the apostle and high priest of our profession. And we profess him and confess him to be Lord. Confession does not mean, by the way, just saying the words. I say it all the time. You, get a, you can get a lost person with no intent of following Christ to repeat after me, Jesus is Lord. Or something like that. Or I believe in Jesus. People can say that and not mean it. It is, a, it is confession means to agree with God. It means I'm in agreement in my heart of hearts that God is God. That Christ is his son. That Jesus is Lord. A lot of people call themselves Christians that are not. We call it hypocrisy. Right? They're not. They've either deceived themselves or they think they're deceiving others. The Lord knows who belongs to him. The Lord knoweth them that are his, he says. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from evil. But it's this profession of Christ, his church, it's his kingdom, and it's the Lord's church, okay? I will build my church upon this rock. It's the Lord's church, lest we forget. It's the Lord's church. He built it through his own blood. He built it through laying down his life. He built it through his, uh, who he is and coming and laying down his life for the sins of the whole world, for sinful men. 
and making the atonement. He only can do that, amen? He only can do that. It's his church. And church, this is the first time it's used in the Bible, right here. The first time the word church is used in the Bible is Matthew 18, 16. I'm, I'm sorry, 16, 18, where he says, I will build my church. The church means literally the calling out or the called out ones. It means a congregation or gathering of saints, whether in heaven or on earth. And this, as I said, the first time that it's used in the Bible. And not only is, is it his church, but he is the builder of it. Upon this rock, I will build my church. A builder where he is, means a house builder. It means to construct, to confirm, to edify. Amen. He is... Uh, he and he alone saves an individual, and this is how he builds his church. He builds his church through his blood, but it's human beings. It's not this building. It's this building burns down and collapses. We're still the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. He builds his church one living stone at a time. Maybe on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says 3,000 got saved. A few days later at the temple gate, uh, when the lame man was healed, 5,000 were saved. But it's still one heart and one sinner at a time who's repenting and being saved. He's building his church by, it, first of all, saving the individual believer who makes that profession of faith. Thou art the Christ. You might not say those exact words, but thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm a sinner, and save me, Lord. You know, I believe your gospel. He, he does a work in that individual, and then he knits together a church. It's the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes, the Bible says. Amen. It really is when you think about it, how he knits souls together and then lives in that body by his spirit and builds his church. Jesus is both the builder and the foundation. So think about it. He is revealed as both in the scriptures as the builder of his church and the foundation upon which it's built. He's the builder and the foundation. It is his life, his spirit, and his church. His life, his spirit, and individual men and women and young people that are truly born again. Not a name only, but truly saved by grace. He comes to live in those that he has redeemed from sin. It's the very life of Christ. It is the spirit of God. It is the presence of the Lord that is the life of his church. If God's spirit and presence was not among us, right here. We, let's say we were just a group of people professing or, uh, some religious system, even Christianity, and meeting. God's nowhere in that. That is not his church. Uh, it's the presence of God, the life of God by the Holy Ghost in individual people and in collectively in the body that is the life of that church. It's the life of Christ in the church. You could have a huge church filled with many thousands of people and a lot of energy and excitement and a lot of different things going on and a lot of the Christian symbolism and things all over the building. But if they're not born again people there to worship the Lord, that's not the church. That's not the life of Christ. And so he, his very presence and this presence of the Holy Ghost is the life of the church. That's what makes it his church. It's Christ makes it his church. Him living in his people makes it his church. His meeting with us when we meet makes it his church. Uh, 1 Peter 2.5, we did a, a series on 
the priesthood of the believer several months ago. And that one of the key scriptures was, ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual uh, priest, a spiritual priesthood, a holy people that you would offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We're built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood as living stones. We're living stones because we've, we've been born again. And the Spirit of the Lord lives in us and we're part of Christ. We're in Christ now. And then God takes those individuals and we're built up by the builder, the Lord, into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a whole priesthood of believers to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. So he first of all declares, uh, Peter, that you're, you're not just Simon, you're Petros, this little rock. And then he says, I'll build my house, my church upon this rock or this profession, and then this glorious statement. To me, it's glorious the more I think about it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the Lord. That's what he says right here. And so he just, he's declaring the absolute power, absolute power. And the abs- governments don't have absolute power, by the way. They have power that's delegated to them. They have power for a time being. They have power uh, that sometimes waxes and wanes and grows and shrinks. The Lord declares the absolute power of his church, the absolute strength of his church, the indestructible nature of his church, the invincibility of his church. And it's his church. He says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I thought, okay, it's Thanksgiving time as the Lord was giving me this sermon. We ought to be thankful for this. This wouldn't be a typical Thanksgiving sermon. But when I begin to think, he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And I'm part of that church. I ought to be thankful. Amen. I'm thankful. I want to think about it. I want to think about the Lord, what he's done for us. I want to think about his word and what he says to me and the truth and what he has proclaimed about his church. What a blessing, what a joy, amen, what an assurance that we have in simply belonging to Christ to be part of this church, his church, and to belong to his kingdom with, and to, to be ruled by this king, amen, to be ruled by this king. Other people are ruled by other kings or they're ruled by their flesh or they're ruled, they're in, uh, in the line of the embrace of the wicked one. I want to tell you what Daniel said, I mean, sorry, what Nebuchadnezzar said after he threw uh, the, the, the boys into the fiery furnace. <clears throat> no, I'm sorry. This was after he, he had been chased from his kingdom, and the Lord took his sanity from him, basically, and he lived like an animal for seven years. We know the, the account. Because he was prideful and did not give glory to God and acknowledge God for all his accomplishments and achievements and what he had. But he says he came to himself after the end of seven years. And it says, and I blessed the most high God, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. That's the kingdom we're part of. Amen. And this would be his church as well. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? I mean, that is a profession of the power, absolute power of God. 
If we'd have lived in the days of Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar was king, and that was probably their absolute heyday would have been under Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, some of the ruins are still around, you know, the hanging towers of Babylon and so forth, different, different things. Um, we would have, everybody would have been in awe of the king and the kingdom and the wealth and the power and taking other countries that couldn't stand before him and their armies and everything. And, and here's Nebuchadnezzar when he realizes the Lord. His eyes are open. God could, took that kingdom and his sanity from him in a moment. As the word was in his mouth boasting, God took his sanity from him. He lost everything. God restored it for him and brought him back. But he brought him back when he professed this. No, nobody can stay the Lord's hand. Nobody can stop him from doing what he wants to do. Amen. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom didn't last forever. He would eventually die. And I think it may be about the time of his grandson, Belshazzar, when, when uh, Darius came in and took it and took the whole kingdom. It became the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And then after that, you know, the, the Greeks and then the Romans and so forth. And, but the Lord's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Amen. And mighty men will not prevail against Christ and his church. Armies and military might will not prevail against Christ's church. Prison cells and beatings will not prevail against Christ's church. Ideas and philosophies and inventions and imaginations of men have not and will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 11. We know the, the account of Nimrod and the tower that they sought to build. We don't have time to read it all. I want to read two verses from Genesis 4.11. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Genesis 11, verses 4 and 8. Genesis 11, 4. And they said, go to... Let us, I want you to notice how many times us and we and so forth are mentioned. Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Verse 8, skip down to verse 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Now we know the, the rest of the account, but... That was men trying to prevail against God. That was man-made kingdoms and religions. By the way, y'all, this is the first organized rebellion against the Lord in the whole history of mankind. I know we, Eve sinned and Adam sinned and Cain killed his brother. But as far as organizing a religion contrary to the one true living God, this was the first those ruins of that Tower of Babel were still left within the four walls later of what would become the Babylonian Empire and the city of Babylon. That, that where they had left off building, it stopped because God scattered them abroad. The point of reading it, this is that that's a man-made uh, antichrist type of system. It's a man-made kingdom. It's a man-made religion. They're going to build towers that reach to heaven. Those are an affront to God. They're an offense to Almighty God. He will destroy them. He may let them go for some time, 
He let them build as long as they built, and then he just stopped it. He may let some kingdom, antichrist kingdom or system, go for a while, but it will not ultimately prevail. God will come against it, and he will destroy it, but he is also at the same time building his kingdom and his church, which the gates of hell will not prevail against. That is ongoing at the same time. And I thank the Lord that I'm part of that, that kingdom. Amen. Satan and Satan-inspired men and their plans and their movements are not going to prevail against Christ's church. We read in the Bible about Satan-inspired, Satan-possessed people. The Antichrist will be the ultimate Antichrist uh, servant of the devil and representative of the devil on the earth trying to build a world kingdom, and the Lord will allow it for a time. But it's still limited. It'll start when he says, it'll end when he says, and it'll be over when he says. And even in the midst of that antichrist system that's to come in the seven-year tribulation, men are still going to be being saved. Isn't that amazing? And be becoming part of the Lord's kingdom. And But uh, no matter what men boast of, I say men we men in movements, they, a certain... Uh, political party or certain government or certain philosophy of of ruling like communism or whatever marxism may rise and 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 boast of what they're going to do and they the lord allows it because he he in his wisdom knows what he's doing he allows it for a period of time he'll allow it in little men shaking their tiny little fist of what they're going to do and beating it on the table, and this one's thrown in jail, and this one's killed, and this one we take their property, and we do this, and we'll tell you what to think and believe. Little men boasting of what they're going to do, and yet ultimately it's all going to come to naught. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the Bible says. The Bible says that the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. It's all going to pass away. But the church that Jesus Christ is building and is continuing to build is not going to be overcome. All the forces and power of hell itself. We talked about men. We talked about men and their inventions. We talked about uh, men of the spirit of Antichrist and, and movements. And all of hell itself will not prevail against the Lord's church. The word prevail means to overpower the gates of hell shall not overpower the Lord's church. You think of Jesus meek and lowly in heart and laying down his life, letting weaker people take his life and mock him and spit upon him and pluck the beard out of his face and ridicule him and say, if you're really the son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe. It looks like such weakness, but it was great strength, greatest strength ever to, to be obedient to the Father, even unto death, even the death on the cross. Think, think you not that even now I couldn't call legions of angels to come and rescue me when he was in the garden and arrested? But he came to the earth for such a time as this. Great strength. And so little men shaking their little fist and boasting, sinful men, lost men about what they're going to do and what they're going to do with God and what they're going to do with others and, and so forth. And it's all going to come to naught because the forces of hell, the gates of hell, will not prevail against the Lord's church. We have that promise. Either God's true or he's not true. He has made that statement. 
and he has made, declared it to be so. The forces of hell will absolutely come against the church. The forces of hell and of, the, of Satan and our adversary will absolutely oppose Christ and oppose his church and oppose you as a, a child of God and oppose the gospel and oppose the Bible being taught in schools and oppose prayer being in public arena and oppose this and that and Christian values. He'll come against all of that, but he won't be able to overcome it. He will not be able to overcome it. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the enemy of our souls. He is a thief. He is a liar. He is a murderer, says in, in 1 John. He is a murderer from the beginning. He's a murderer and a thief. He's not going to prevail. Don't, get, don't fret and think Satan's going to win. He's not. He's not going to win. Amen? He doesn't win. Uh, he's going to definitely come against the church of Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. He comes against your soul. He wars against you. He says a roaring lion walking about now, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible tells us who we're to steadfastly resist in the faith. We resist him, amen, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his name. But the powers of hell will be unsuccessful. The church of Christ will survive and has survived and continue to all, the, all of the attacks that hell brings against it all the way through. You want to read the end of the story, what happens to the devil and demons and all the sin and evil and death and hell? I'll just read it to you from Revelation 20.10. So think of where you are in your Bible. Revelation 20.10. We're almost at the end. This is after the tribulation. This is after the second coming of the Lord. This is after the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. This is after this last final rebellion at the end of the millennium that comes. Uh, and it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be at that time. And shall be tormented day and night. You know how long it says? Forever and ever. This, the devil, the gates of hell, the forces of hell, the entrance of hell is what that means. He's not going to prevail against the Lord's church. The devil himself, at the end of the millennium, by our God, by our Savior, who is Almighty God, is going to take Satan and cast him into a lake of fire in brimstone, where at that point, the false prophet and the Antichrist will already be. And it says he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Nebuchadnezzar got this thousands of years ago when he says, your kingdom's an everlasting kingdom. Jesus is restating it in a different way. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church that I'm building. Will Satan come against your life? Will he come against the church? Will he come against religious liberties and freedoms? Will he come against the word of God and the, the truth of the, God's word and the reliability of the scriptures? Yes, yes, and yes. And yet here it still stands. Here Christ still stands, salvation is still salvation, eternity is still eternity, heaven is still heaven, hell is still hell, sinners are still sinners, the Lord's blood is still the Lord's blood that washes us clean. He's still the Lord. His church is still here. We're still here worshiping the Lord. Churches that are persecuted in China and meeting out in the woods or in a cave or in a basement with some others looking out to make sure no guards or soldiers are coming to find them. He's still the Lord there too. Hell has not overcome 
the church of Jesus Christ. It may appear like it, but he has not. I want you to read with me, if you would, in Hebrews chapter uh, 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise, this is Christ, took part of the saying that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's us. That's us who fear of death, and the Lord delivers us, but he's able to destroy him that has power over death, and that is the devil. The whole thought here to me, and we're going to be bringing this, uh, starting to bring this to a conclusion, but the whole thought and truth of this profession in Matthew 16, 18, is that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It was spoken to a man. And when I really think about that, here's God. It should be like written in the in the heavens or something it was spoken to a man a man who imperfect and sinful and even after this great profession in fact just a few seconds later the lord was going to have to rebuke him for some some ungodly profession that he made he says you savor not the things that be of god but the things that be of men just a few seconds after what we read and but it was spoken this truth about this declaration about the unmatched indestructible power of Christ's church. It was spoken to a believing yet sinful, weak man like us. And he's saying, you get to be part of that. That profession that you made about thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm telling you, I'm building a church on that. And I'm going to be the foundation. I'm going to be that builder. And that profession that you made of of who I am, you're part of this thing too. It's spoken to a weak, sinful man who on the night of the Lord's betrayal denied him three times and went out and whipped bitterly. And the Lord still restored him back and brought him back. Gates of hell didn't prevail against him that night either. He sinned. But there's forgiveness for sins when we turn back to the Lord. Amen? And, and the, uh, this Christ, as I said, in the spirit of Christ is the life in his church. It's, it's a sinful man. No man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. Nobody can really say it and mean it but by the Holy Spirit. And the power of Christ's church resides in Christ. He is the life of it. And we are simply partakers of it. I didn't say simply. We're partakers of it. It's not us. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's, it's the Lord in us. Amen. I want to read this from first, uh, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. This is how we enter into this thing and become part of this invincible church that Christ is building. It is through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Well, what comes to us by that? Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, that we've actually become, through that profession of faith, of Christ and who he is, and repenting and giving our life to the Lord, we become partakers of his divine nature. And we become part of his church. Amen? His church. It almost seems too good to be true when you really think about it. We're born in sin, but we're born again by faith in Jesus into this glorious life. We're born in sin or sinners by nature, and we know we're sinners. But we're born again into this glorious life by faith in Jesus. We're adopted into this family of the Lord by faith, and Christ himself is building his church. Amen? Believing men, repentant men, people that come to the Lord and humble themselves before God and turn to Christ in our sin and in our weakness, we're objects of God's mercy. We flee to Christ for a refuge from sin, and he saves us, and he makes us part of his church. Amen? Part of his church. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, when I was, the Lord was giving me this message, and I, I started thinking about it, and I thought, Honestly, I think we and I am so undeserving of that. He makes this bold power statement, the absolute power of his church, and then he's letting us be part of that, a partaker of his divine nature. What do I bring to the table, so to speak, in this relationship? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing but my sin and say, save me. He gave me this body. He gave me life. He, he gave me the faith to turn to him and believe in him. And I surrendered my life to the Lord. And I began to write down and think this. I thought th- this knowledge and this truth ought to bring about such a joy in our hearts and lives. And I, I wrote down, I'm, I'm undeserving. I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't win the victory over the grave. I didn't triumph over the grave. I didn't face and defeat the powers of darkness. I didn't do that. I didn't go to cross and die for any world's sin, much less my own sins. I didn't defeat and dispel and overcome the powers of sin and darkness. The Lord did that. The Lord did that. And he's just allowing me to be part of it. I say, here we are, though. The Lord did it all, and here we are. I can take no nothing Nothing from that. Salvation is of the Lord. And we simply come to him by faith. That profession, that rock of our profession in Christ the rock. Ephesians 2, 19, 20 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. We were strangers and foreigners and enemies of Christ. But now we're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. All these blessings are ours in Christ, just being part of his church, amen? Being part of his church. I'm going to close with a few thoughts just real quickly. The Bible says, Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man build upon that foundation, Christ, And it goes on to describe the things that man can build. But the only true foundation is Christ. He says that gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're not to fear. We're not to be afraid. 
We're not to retreat. We're not to draw back under perdition. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that you hear. Don't believe the lies that you hear, whether it be through the media, through in your own whispered in your ear by the enemy of the Lord. Don't believe the boasts and the lies and the bragging of lost men. Speaking that this isn't true, this isn't going to come to pass, we're going to win, the Lord's not going to win. Don't listen to those lies. Trust in the Lord. Don't be crippled by fear. Amen? We're to live by faith in Jesus. And just real quickly, I thought, how Satan intimidates. And I know that I've shared this before, but the, the Goliath, the giant, he was a giant. Some say 13 feet high, depending on which Bible you read. 13 feet tall and a spear heavier than most people could uh, probably throw anywhere. And he came and he told David, the Philistines said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. I want to ask you a question. Here's this mighty giant. He tells Goliath, he's a period behind it, Come unto me, I'm going to give your flesh unto the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make you dog food and throw you out in the field for the animals to eat. I'll ask you another question. Did he do it? Did Goliath do that? He did not. He boasted. He bragged. He forgot who he did not see who he was coming against. The battle belongs to the Lord. And I just think how Satan will tell us through governments, through media, through people, through workplaces, whatever, we are going to do this to you. And they don't. Even if they take our lives, they didn't triumph over us. But I'm saying Goliath boasted he represented the devil in this. He did not give David's flesh to the beast of the earth and the fowls of the air. David, a little kid without armor, killed him by the power of the Lord, took his own sword and cut his head off. And there was a great victory for the Jews over the Philistines that day. It was not how devil, the devil said it would be. And can I tell you, don't listen to the lies of the devil. When Nebuchadnezzar threw the three Hebrew boys who stood for Christ, stood for the Lord, and refused to bow down to this idol, and he, and he throws them into the fire, I'm going to cast you, he said, the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace if you don't bow down. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Well, the Lord answered that, didn't he? It was a threat. It was a boast. They were thrown into the fire. But there was a God who came along and delivered them in the fire and out of the fire. And if he looked like the Son of God. You know why? Because he was the Son of God in the fire with them. I'm just trying to encourage you and myself. Don't be crippled with fear. Whether you're the youngest believer, the oldest believer, the newest saint. If your body's sick, if you're getting older and weaker. Where Bible says we're more than conquerors. And Christ is building his church upon himself he knows how to build it worldly empires have come and gone and come and gone and come and gone and the rock of our salvation is still here and the house that he's building by this profession of faith in christ is still here and it ought to cause our hearts to rejoice amen do you can come and i want to just close with this scripture from hebrews 10 verse 39 
38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but unto them, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We're going to hold on to the Lord the whole way through. Paul says that. Whoever wrote Hebrews, I think it was Paul. And to the saving of the soul, we're not of those that draw back under perdition. We're going to live by faith. And by living by faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he says the gates of hell are not going to prevail. Amen. Would you all stand with me? I just want to thank the Lord. I want you, the altars are open. Take a few moments before we go this morning and just thank God that he has, by his grace, allowed us to be part of this kingdom, this church. He is in complete control of it. He is the very life of it. He is the life of God in his people. He is the life of his church by his spirit. He knows how to build it, and nothing and all of hell itself is not going to prevail against the Lord's church, and he's allowed us to be part of that. Amen. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And God, I just want to thank you this morning. I want to thank you, Lord, that you save sinful men, weak men. We just make that solid profession of faith genuinely by faith in the Lord of who you are and what you've done for us in your gospel. And we're born of your spirit, God, and you make us part of the family of God. You're building your church, and we are the living stones that you use. And other believers around the world are the living stones that we're built up a, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. God, thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. The gates of hell will come against us, but will not overcome your church. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your, uh, your goodness. I thank you for your keeping power to save and keep us saved, God. We love you today, God. We thank you. We confess you as Savior and Lord of all. We thank you for making us part of your church, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, thank you, God.